0: So Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. Let's give our attention to God's word. It says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is, what is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Moses, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, The grass withers, the flowers fade away. The word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us before we uh, look at it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would be with us tonight, that you would send your Holy Spirit um, to be in our midst and to cause us to hear your word, that you would work in spite of my limitations uh, as a speaker in so many ways, not uh, the, the least of which is my voice. Um, Father, would you work in spite of all of our sinful hearts, uh, would you break in and speak to us, cause us to hear, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I hope that you remember uh, the song Superman uh, by Five for Fighting. Does this ring a bell? Right, uh, also known as "It's Not Easy," right? Nods. Okay, some nods. Good. Um, it came out in 2001, which was you know a little bit of time ago, but evidently most of you've heard it. And the song is from Superman's perspective, and it's essentially about how Superman is really not so super. Um, at least, is not as super as everybody thinks he is. Uh, it's about the fact that even Superman is really trying to figure out who he is. And he has these doubts and these fears uh, and really feels like a fraud. Uh, one of the lines uh, he describes himself by saying this I'm only a man in a silly red sheet. And then it says, digging for kryptonite on this one way street, which I have no clue what that means. <laughs> but then he continues. Only a man in a funny red sheet looking for special things inside of me, and I look as much as a a pop song can be, I think that 's a fairly uh, powerful image of of Superman, right the man of steel, knowing essentially that he 's inadequate for the task that he like he said he 's really just playing dress up, and there's a sense in which he knows he 's a fraud because really deep down he he wants to be special, but he, he fears he's not. Uh, look, if, you, uh, if you've been with us, you know that as we, we're studying through Exodus this semester. And it's the story of, of God saving His people, Israel, uh, out of Egypt. They're in slavery, and he's, he's saving them from that. And every week we're saying our, our theme is that Exodus is the pattern of salvation. That the way that we see God save in Exodus... Is uh, paradigmatic of how he saves throughout all time. So as we look at him, uh, as we look at him saving here, we can learn a lot about what it means to be saved by God. And so, what uh, I think our <coughs> there it is. Excuse me. What our passage tonight I think shows us is that God's salvation is for the inadequate. It's for inadequate people. So we've got two points tonight. Uh, A pastor friend of mine, a guy named Brian Habig, often says that you can can always ask two questions of any Bible passage to help you get at the meaning. And this is great for personal Bible study. Um, He says you can always ask a text, uh, these two questions. Number one, what does this passage tell me about mankind who needs to be redeemed? What does this tell me about people, us? Second question is, what does this passage show me about God who does the redeeming? And every once in a while, while that's a helpful tool for Bible study, personal Bible study, every once in a while he'll use it as his uh, outline for his sermon. And I found it helpful in this one uh, to do the same. So those are our two points. What does this passage teach us about mankind, about us, that needs to be redeemed? And then secondly, what does it teach us about God who does the redeeming? So first, what does it show us about ourselves, about mankind? And the, the short answer, sort of to cut to the chase, is that it shows us that mankind, that you and I, uh, seen you know, most vividly here through Moses, uh, that we are prone to fear, to doubt, and to weakness. We're prone to fear and doubt and to weakness. And we're going to actually break them up like that. Doubts and fears first, and then weakness second. But um, First, let's uh, remind ourselves of a little bit of context. We kind of jumped in the middle. Maybe we should have done that before we read it. But So what's going on? Well, like we've said, Israel is enslaved in Egypt, um, and God is going to bring his people out. And so he has Moses, uh, who is an Israelite, uh, born to Israelite parents, uh, but he ends up growing up in Pharaoh's household through these, you know, certain set of circumstances. And basically he, in a sense, grooms him to be the hero. Um, He ends up, things appear to not work out, and so he has to go on the run, ends up out in the desert. And uh, as he's been out there for 40 years, he's a shepherd, he sees this bush that's on fire. That's what we looked at last week. He goes over and looks at it because the bush is on fire, but it's not burning up, and what he realizes is that uh, this is basically a, um, a manifestation of God's presence. And God speaks to him, and he says, he tells him who he is, he says, I am I'm Yahweh. I'm the, I am the one true God, and I'm going to save Israel, and I'm going to use you. You're going to lead the people. And what we, we saw a little bit last week, and what we see here in full, is that Moses doesn't want to do it. He gives this litany of excuses because he's he's filled with doubts and fears. So I want to take a look at that, at these doubts and fears that he has. Uh, You can see it in verse 1 in response to God telling Moses to go tell Israel, right? God says, look, you go and tell all the Israelites um, that I'm going to save them. Moses says, verse 1, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Right, you can you, you hear what Moses is saying. If I just show up to these people and I say, okay, hey, God said uh, I'm going to take you out of slavery and he's going to use me to do it, so here we go. Um, Moses is afraid, that, like, basically like, what if they don't believe me? Why in the world would they believe me? You know, they're going to look up and, and basically say like, yeah, sure, right? God just showed up to you. He, he evidently hasn't spoken to us in like 400 years. And now he showed up and spoke to you in the middle of the desert, you're going to lead us, um, and I think we can. It's fair to say that essentially Moses is afraid of being rejected, right? He's afraid of going to these people and them saying, "Yeah, whatever, forget about it." Uh, and it's happened before, right? Uh, when when he killed the Egyptian, this is why he had to leave Egypt. He was uh, he grew up in the household of Pharaoh, and then he goes out one day and he sees uh, an Egyptian. Uh, beating up on one of his people, one of the, the Hebrews, and he looks this way and that way, doesn't see anybody, and he kills the Egyptian. Uh, and when he does, his, his people, the Israelites, who he was taking up for, they, they look at him and they say, hey, who made you ruler and judge over us? So Moses is afraid of being rejected. And really his fear is just the flip side of his doubting God. Fear is really just the flip side of doubt. So how do we know that? Uh, because in, uh, where did he go? In chapter 3, verse 18, just moments before what we read, uh, God tells Moses this, and they will listen to your voice. But Moses doubts. He doubts God and therefore is afraid of being rejected by Israel. All right, now I want you to think about this. So what, what's the big problem? Why is he so afraid of being rejected? Um, Egypt is the problem, right? I mean, the big problem is, oh, just the most powerful nation on the planet, Egypt. And his people that he's supposed to save, that God's going to save through him, are their slaves, and like we said, God hasn't spoken in 400 some odd years, it seems. Things are really bad. So you can imagine if you go and say like, hey, I'm going to march in there and tell the most powerful man in the world, hey, uh, God wants his people. and We're going to be heading out now. Right. If things are bad, if you poke the bear, like, it's just going to get worse. Don't do that. And so Moses is wrestling with this fear and this doubt because on the one hand, he stood in the, in the desert and he saw this bush on fire and yet it didn't burn up and he spoke with God. He spoke with Yahweh who said, I'm going to do this. He had that experience with this God he can't see and yet he's got this other stuff that, that, he, that he can see. I know what it's like to be rejected by my people and Egypt. And, and yet, am I, am I willing to risk all that you know, on, base, and stake everything on this God that I can't see? That's kind of the dilemma. All right, so what does that mean for me and you? Because, look, it's easy to read this story about Moses and, and give him a hard time. I think it's really easy to read this and, and think like, dude, what are you doing? Right? A bush, God shows up in this ball of fire and speaks to you. This can't be that hard. What are you afraid of? But I want to suggest to you that, that we're all prone to doubts and fears. What are you afraid of? I'll go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll give you what I'm afraid of. One thing at least. I'm afraid, I'm afraid of things getting out of my control particularly, I see this manifest with my kids. I'm afraid, it makes me nervous, I get I get sort of fearful when things sort of get out, when, when they get sort of chaotic and out of control. Because look, when here's the deal, when kids start running around and getting crazy, things get chaotic, um, and things can get broken, uh, things can get, people can get hurt, and that can cause just a lot of stress and drama, and it might cost us money, and, and it just, you know, Ugh. And what I know, look, on the one hand, I know what God says about don't exasperate your children with a bunch of rules. I know that God is sovereign over everything. You know, I I know what God says about being patient and kind to people, and certainly to your children. I know that. But but on the other hand, what I can see is that, yeah. But if if I get my hands around, I know if, if I get loud enough or strict enough and, and mean enough, that, that they'll stop. And so I can kind of get my hands around. like, all right, well, I can control it. We're, we're not going to. The house isn't going to be crazy. And so I, I, I fear because I doubt. What about you? Maybe you're afraid of... Um, <coughs> Maybe you're afraid of being rejected. Um, And so it it might go something like this. You know, sure, I know what God says about sexuality. I I know what God says about it. I know uh, what it's supposed to be for and who it's supposed to be with and those sorts of things. But what I can see is that that it's very powerful and that if, if I do these certain things then I can make sure that that person is just that much more connected to me and that they won't leave me. And so therefore, I won't be rejected. Right, you can doubt that you can really, yeah, it's easy to doubt that we can really trust God with our relationships because being rejected is just too scary. Uh, Maybe you're afraid of disappointing your parents more than anything else. Maybe that's you. So you do whatever it takes to uh, to make them happy. To so You do whatever it takes to get the best grades or to get into that sorority or that fraternity or uh, whatever it might look like. Because you can see that if I have good grades, th- then they're happy. If I keep my job and I keep my scholarship, they're happy. That's what I, That's what I know. Even though God says... I know what he says about academic integrity, that it's wrong to cheat, um, or that, uh, you know, to, to live that sort of lifestyle, uh, to, you know, party in that sort of way is not what he wants for me, but, but what I can see is what makes my parents happy. We doubt because we're afraid of the other thing. And we're afraid of all sorts of things. It might be not having enough money, being persecuted uh, or rejected for your Christian beliefs. Uh, it might be you're afraid of not being comfortable. You're afraid of missing out on something fun, uh, not being as satisfied, right? We could go on and on. But we tend to fear and we tend to doubt. And the second aspect of this that I want to look at very quickly is, is weakness. Because Moses is full of this fear and doubt, but he's also very aware, very acutely aware of his weakness. Uh, He just doesn't think he can do what God's called him to do. Verse 10, um, after God answers Moses' fears and doubts, which we're going to look at in just a minute. Moses says, uh, where is it? Verse 10, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Moses tells God, look, I'm just not a good speaker. I can't, I can't do what you want me to do. And it makes sense, right? I mean, if you're going to lead a country, you're going to lead this great rebellion. If you are the leader, who do you need? You, you need the, the football coach, right? We're going to go in there, and you, know, and you need to rally the troops. We, or You need the general, the guy that can get people to lay their life on the line. You don't need... The guy that can't talk very well. It's not clear what Moses means uh, exactly. He may be stuttered, has some sort of speech impediment. That's probably where I would fall down. Uh, It might have just been, you know, he's afraid of speaking in public and gets nervous and who knows. A lot of theories, but then it doesn't really matter. But the problem was that he perceived himself to be a bad speaker. And I want you to notice this. God doesn't argue with him. Do you notice that God doesn't say like, no, 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 you can, you're a great speaker, Moses. Remember when you gave that talk at the, you know, everybody, everybody loved it. He did not say that at all. The weakness is real. And really, I, I kind of wrestled with how to organize this. Really, this weakness, it's just another manifestation of his fear and doubt. Moses is afraid of failing and, and being rejected because he has this weakness. And he doesn't trust God enough to be able to to deal with that weakness. And I think, look, if we're at all self-reflective, I I bet that you feel the same way. I bet there are ways in which you look at yourself uh, and that hits close to home. We're afraid of failing. We doubt that God can really help. And our weaknesses can be sort of paralyzing to us. And really what we try to do is we try to cover them up. And I think that's really what Moses is doing. Like, yeah, it's been exposed sort of on a small scale, but like, let's not get in front of like a million people and expose this. And so we cover them up because we don't trust God to be able to do something with it. Because another thing I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of being exposed as a, as a fraud campus minister, quite frankly. I'm afraid, yeah, I know, I know my weaknesses, my limitations, and I, at least I think I do, Sure, I'm blind to plenty of them. And I want to hide them. I sure don't want to admit them. And and my fear is that any other RUF campus minister could come in here and do twice as good of a job. That's what I'm afraid of. Because I, I know me. And I don't feel like God can work with me. And so we try to cover them up. That's our tendency. All right, so we see, we see a lot about what this says about us, right? So now let's switch gears and look. What does this passage teach us about God who does the redeeming? What does it teach us about God? Here's the short answer again. We've got some chase on the front end. Basically, what, what, this sh- what this passage shows us, we learn that God is ultimately adequate. For our salvation. We are utterly inadequate. And what this shows us is that God is absolutely and ultimately adequate to save. In fact, overall, that's what God is trying to show Moses and trying to show us. He wants us to take the focus off of ourselves. Moses keeps looking at himself, right? Like, oh, you know, who am I to go? And I'm not a good speaker. And I don't think that... And God is basically trying to say, it's not about you. Look up, look up, look at me. I'm adequate for this task. Right? Like when you're teaching a kid to ride his bike and they get on that, you take off the training wheels, you get them on that bike for the first time, they are almost necessarily going to, uh, to be filled with fear and doubt. Right? And they, they, they keep looking down, and they're like, "I just, I don't, you know, I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall, I'm going to fall. I can't do this, I can't." And eventually, you just have to say, "Like, hey, look, hey, right here, focus, right." Some of you just looked up for the first time. I'm talking to the kid, right? <laughs> um, and you point at your forehead, right here. Look here. Look. I know you can't ride. I'm the one that unscrewed the training wheels. I know you can't do it. That's okay. Because I can I can hang on to the bike. You're not going to fall. Don't worry about you. I got gotcha, you, right? That's what God is trying to show us here. That he has us, that salvation is his. So I want to look at two aspects of this real quick. The first aspect is this. I want you to see that God calls, saves, and uses weak, fearful, and doubting people. This is kind of where we started, but... Once you see the overall picture, look, God chose Moses. He didn't look around like, all right, I've got to find somebody. I'm out here in the desert. I'll take the shepherd guy. God is orchestrating all of this. And He didn't just choose Moses, He made Moses. So that means, and look, this might spawn some other conversations that I'd love to have, but this means that it was God's plan for Moses to not be very good at speaking. He made him that way. So think about this. God God is going to work this great salvation. And so he takes this elderly. He's 80. He takes this old, uh, fearful, uh, runaway slave that's afraid, um, that stutters. And he arms him with a stick, his own hand, and a glass of water. Go get him, tiger. That's who he's going to use. An old guy with a lot of problems. He gives him a stick, his own hand, a glass of water. There you go. There's your your leader. Why does he do that? It's really incredible if you think about it. God does that. He does it to show how great he is. He does it to point to himself. Show how amazing he is. Uh, I heard a story, a friend of mine told me this story. He said, I have a friend that's a firefighter, okay? And his firefighter buddy, they have a ping pong table at their fire station. And so when they are uh, just hanging out, which is, you know, the vast majority of time, uh, they're playing ping pong. And he said, we're all pretty good at ping pong. And he said, this guy came by the other day. And he said, "Uh, so you guys play a lot? He said, I'd love to play you. He said, I will beat you, or I, I'd like to play you, and I bet I'd beat you with my iPhone. I'll use my iPhone as my paddle and play you. Who's in? And now look, and all, you know, all these guys are like, oh yeah, I'm in, you know. I don't think he took them for any money. But um, Look, if somebody comes by and makes that sort of a claim, this is just for free, by the way. somebody makes that just outrageous of a claim, like you should probably think twice about, like, Oh, yeah, I'll bet you fifty bucks that he, because he, he's probably making that claim for a reason, and, and sure enough, he just he just wailed on them all. He beat them up and down with the back of his iPhone. Now here's the point. Here's what I want you to think about. How many of those firefighters do you think watched that and said, "Man, that is an amazing phone." <laughs> is that that like iPhone 12? Where did you get that phone? Right? Of course not. Right? The, the point is, if that guy can do that with the back of a phone, he's amazing. He must be incredible. And that's what God's doing. He's showing us that he's great. And he's not doing it to be a show-off, right? Uh, just to sort of rub it in somebody's or maybe ours, our face. But he's, he's doing it to show us what's true. He's doing it to show us the truth that He is the only thing that's good enough. That He's the only thing in this universe that's worth setting your life on. He's the only thing that's actually worth, uh, that, that can save you. And that He can save you for free. Because He can take care of it all. He's trying to get Moses's and our eyes off of ourselves and onto Him. So look, uh, we're going to apply that real quick. Uh, overall, I think, I think it's an, a wonderful encouragement, if you're honest about yourself, to see that this, this is the kind of person that God calls and saves and uses. God does not call superheroes. And so if, if you look at yourself and you think, yeah, but I'm just this normal, or maybe even not so normal, Person, I don't have a lot to offer, I don't feel like. Uh, I do have a lot of problems um, of all sorts. And I don't really see how I could be used for much or why God would really love me. If you find yourself weak and fearful and doubting, I want you to see that in in some sense, right, you are in the right spot. Because that's who God is. Calls and saves and uses. And the last aspect of this I want you to see is that God meets Moses in his doubts and his weakness. He meets Moses in his doubts and weakness. Right, this whole exchange he has it kind of makes me think of somebody, right? Let's say, guy's asking a girl out on a date, and she keeps giving excuses, and he just keeps taking, you know, knocking them down. <laughs> like, um, I can't because you know I don't have anything to wear. Well, that's all right because. I've got this dress that would fit you just perfectly, right? That would be super creepy if somebody... <laughs> Don't go out with that guy. Um, you know, awesome, the dress looks great, but, you know, I've got this big test tomorrow. Actually, I just... Class is canceled, right? And, you know, he just keeps taking care of everything, and he's, you know, left with, with no excuse. Um, that's what God does in a certainly non-creepy sense with Moses. He keeps offering these excuses, and God just keeps knocking him out. Not a problem. Not a problem. Not a problem. I'll take care of it. So how does God meet Moses and his doubts and his weakness? Well, one thing I think is noteworthy, that God doesn't blast him. Right? He doesn't just sort of get in his face and say, like, look, figure it out. Let's grow up. Right? He doesn't give him a hard time. He's very patient and very kind and gracious to him. Uh, and what he does is he gives Moses three signs. You remember, uh, essentially, Moses' big problem, what he fears, um, is certainly rejection from the Israelites, but it's all because of Egypt. They're not going to believe me because Egypt is enormous. And so, what does he do? He gives him these three signs. What I want you to see is these aren't random, these aren't just three, like, parlor tricks that, like, all right, you know, random acts of power that you can do. And people go, like, whoa, wow, that's a big deal. Uh, they actually, uh, they're they're for a purpose. Um, uh, what's the first one? Um, he says, "Take your staff, right? What's that in your hand? It's a staff. Why does he ask him? Because he knows, like, he wants him to know, like, this is a stick, right? Moses confirms, stick. Throw it on the ground, becomes snake. Now is that just random? No. Uh, to Egypt, the snake, the cobra was was a symbol of their power, right? That you'd find the cobra head on their um, on the scepter. On the, uh, the Pharaoh's uh, crown, those sorts of things. It was a symbol of their power. God showing, I can make one of their quote unquote gods out of a stick. That's how powerful I am. Um, what's the next one? Uh, he says, Put your hand in your, inside your coat, pull it out right in the. It's leprous. Um, and he put it back in his jacket, bring it back out, and it's healed. Uh, Evidently, from what I read, leprosy was somewhat uh, prevalent in Egypt. It was a feared disease. And God is showing, look, you're going to show Pharaoh, um, I'm the one that really brings healing. I'm in charge of disease and healing. That thing that the people that you're afraid of are afraid of, yeah, I own that. That's how big I am. And then the Nile, of course. The Nile was, the, was their source of life, right? It makes the crops grow. It's what you drink. It, you know, it's everything. And God shows, you know, you dip the cup, cup in the Nile, pour it on the ground, it's blood. But I, I am bigger than that. I am bigger than what gives life to the Egyptians. And then lastly, right, he makes the provi- provision of Aaron going with him. He's basically saying, look, if you're afraid of Egypt then you got nothing to worry about. Because I'm way bigger than Egypt. They answer to me. Because, like we talked about last week, I am. I'd want to give you the illustration of, of Jesus walking on the water and Peter uh, being afraid of the waves. Um, right? You remember that story Matthew 14? Peter walks out, but then he, he's walking on the water. He gets afraid of the... He uh, sees the waves. They get back in the boat, and Jesus says you know, why did you doubt? Which is not Jesus basically saying like, come on, man. I thought you are better than that. He really wants him to think about it. Why did you doubt? And right, Peter's process would be, well, I doubted because those waves were so big. And what happens, you remember what happens when they get back in the boat? Jesus stops the waves. Right, you get Peter's, what certainly had to have been Peter's, you know, thought process, besides like it just being blown I thought those waves were just the biggest thing that I knew. They were scary. And you just talked to them and they stopped, right? I think it's a great uh, sort of biblical illustration of what we're talking about. Um, all right, let's wind it up with this thought. Ugh, fast. Um, all right, so that's all great for Moses, right? But what about me and you? Because it'd be cool to have a stick to turn into a snake, and, and it'd be cool at parties, and it would be cool, uh, I think, is it, you know... Would feel like that would really grow you in your faith. Like I could, re- I would know for sure. So, what about us? What does God have to show us? Um, oh, gosh, we have to go fast. I want you to see this. Uh, th- this sort of snake theme comes up again in Moses' life in Numbers twenty-one. Um, I'm going to connect it. <laughs> Whether that's fair or not, I don't know. Um, Numbers twenty-one. Israel's out. You know, this, so, spoiler alert: God leads His people out into the wilderness. <laughs> saves His people. Let's pray. And they're out in the wilderness, and they're, they're really going to start having some hard times. They're going to start um, grumbling against God. And God sends all these snakes into, the, into their camp because they're just being horrible people. And uh, snakes in the camp, they're biting the people, and people are getting very sick, obviously. And they cry out to Moses. They basically repent. So Moses cries out to God, and God says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take, uh, I want you to make a sculpture of a snake. And I want you to put it on a big pole. I want you to raise that pole up in the middle of the camp. Stick it in the ground. If anybody gets bit by a snake, I want them to look up. Look at that pole. Look at the snake on the pole. They'll be healed. And it was true. That's what happened. Anybody got bit, all you did is look up at the snake on the pole. Healed. Now that seems like a weird story. But yeah, hundreds and hundreds of years later, Jesus shows up. And he references, uh, he references that story. Um, he does all these miraculous signs that point to who he is and what he's come to do. And when he's talking with, with Nicodemus, right, John 3, he says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is saying, I'm like the snake on the stick. Now that's weird, what does it mean? What did the people do? They were were experiencing the 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 judgment of sin. And God got them to look up at something else. Look away from yourselves, look up. But they're looking at the thing that is, is the problem that's cursing them. Like he didn't say, take an image of me and put it on the pole, right? He's against that. But Jesus comes along and says, I'm like the snake on the pole. Right, because what is Jesus going to do? He's going to, he, he's going to, and did become the curse for us. He becomes the thing that curses us, our sin, and he gets lifted up on the cross. He dies in our place, and that's what we have to look at. Right? Sorry, we don't. You don't get a stick that turns into a snake, or your hand turning leprous. You get, you get God Himself on a cross. Saying, do you because essentially the question is like, God, are you really like are you all in? Right, poker metaphor. Are you are you all in for me? And Jesus on the cross is God's way in a sense of saying, let me show you how all in I am. I'm gonna come and, and give up myself to save you because I love you. Because what we see is that. Jesus is really the true Moses, right? He's the one that's come to lead His people. And He, he perfectly followed His Father. He perfectly obeyed. He didn't doubt. He, he, he marched Himself to death, even death on a cross, right? Right? It's, that's actually, because Jesus did that is why Moses it's amazing it's why Moses can stand there and look at God and argue with him think about that here's how in some sense it should have gone down God I don't think I really want to do this fine, don't, boom, gone it's true same thing's true for me and you I mean you realize right if God did that he would be, I mean it's literally, perfectly just to do that. Not a thing in the world wrong with that. But He doesn't. But we can because of Jesus. We've gone longer than we should. Um, that's an invitation to you. That's an invitation to Jesus' uh, grace and His mercy. Let me pray. Father, forgive my... Forgive my speech and my tongue uh, for its long-windedness, um, for its inaccuracy. Um, work in spite of my weakness and all of our weaknesses. Thank you. Uh, God, get our eyes off of ourselves and onto you and your salvation. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.